0: Good morning, everybody. My name is John, um, part, of the, oh, thank you. part of the leadership team here at King's and um, specifically lead uh, our Hazelmere site, which is just 10 minutes up the road, and I'll be shooting off there in a minute to speak there before coming back here for the 11.30 meeting here. And um, look, I know it's already been said this morning, but I want to say as well, thank you for being here. And particularly if this is not where you'd normally be on a Sunday morning, uh, really appreciate you coming. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I know time is precious, and I, I, I hope and I trust that by the end of this meeting, you will consider it time well spent. So on that video there, you just heard a retelling of one of the most well-known stories that Jesus ever told, a story of a father and his two sons who take two very different paths in life. And it's, it's this story, the story of the lost son, or some of you will know it as the story of the prodigal son, it's this story that the whole of this Coming Home series is, is based on, and we're going to be picking out five different aspects of the story each week, and as you can see behind me, the aspect we're looking at this week is longing, this theme of longing that we find in this story. And I'll say a little bit more about the series as a whole and come back to the story of the lost son a little bit later, but Jesus talked a lot in stories, so somebody would ask him a question, and he would often answer with a story, which may have been a little bit infuriating for the person asking the question, but because Jesus knew that stories are powerful. They're very, very powerful. They, uh, we, we, we can connect with stories in a way that we can't connect with abstract truth. Stories are memorable. They have the power to stir us and to move us, particularly when we can identify with someone or something in that story. This church has a great story. This church here, King's Church High Wycombe, has a great story. What started with a handful of people, seven or eight people, meeting in somebody's living room in a house up on the Hazelmere Estate back in the 70s is now somewhere between seven and 800 people each Sunday across three meetings on two different locations and still growing. Now that's a story. That is a story. And it's a story actually that should probably cause you to ask a few questions because it's a kind of against the odds story, isn't it? in an age of supposedly declining church attendance and interest in religion at all, should cause us to ask, well, why? How, why are you going the other way? How are we going against the trend? What is, what is it that's doing that? What is it that people find here? It's a great story. And here today, you are surrounded by stories, individual stories. All different, all from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different pathways through life. But there is one thing that many of the stories in this room do have in common, and that one thing is the life-changing, transforming discovery of the love of God, the real and personal love of God through Jesus Christ. And for some, that was an instant dramatic kind of thing, a moment in time, everything changed. For others, it was more of a journey that involves several steps over several months or even several years. For some, it was a case of coming back to God, having maybe known him in some way before, been part of the church before, but then strayed away from him for a little while. But the fact is that hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people over the years have discovered this real personal love of God here at King's. And they would testify, I would testify to change lives, to a transformed life, and to a sense of coming home. The number of people I've heard describe it like that, it just felt like coming home. So, before I carry on, we're going to hear a couple of our stories that I've just been talking about. We're going to hear uh, from a couple of people you'll recognize from the video. We're going to hear first from Suzanne, and then from Andy. So if we could play that, that'd be great.
1: (laughs) Um I grew up in a really lovely, loving family, and we went to a Catholic church every week um and so, for me, I believed there was a God I believed he was real, but he was just up in the sky and distant and removed really he wasn't He wasn't close and personal. I remember when I was a child and a teenager I had this constant feeling of of guilt, and i really i just hated myself um and I believed that if anyone knew me, that they'd hate me, that I was just horrible. And so that drove me into perfectionism in every area of my life, you know, dancing, schoolwork, everything. And really what that was, was that was just me trying to earn acceptance, even though I was accepted by my parents, they loved me, but I just had this wanting to cover myself up, hide myself, make myself acceptable. As a child, I was very skinny, and um, but as I grew up, as I, as I went into teenage years, I started to fill out naturally like you do, and for me, I just felt dirty, I felt exposed, and I hated it, I felt like everyone could see how awful I was, and so then I started making myself sick, and that started to spiral out of control until eventually I wasn't eating at all. And in November 1997, I was um, diagnosed with anorexia. So I spent the next two years in and out of hospital, and um, I would put on weight, I'd go home, I'd lose it again. And it was just a horrible time. It was stressful for my family. And for me, it was just awful. The hospital experience wasn't great. It was degrading having a nurse follow you to the toilet and watch you have a shower tell you what you're allowed to eat, what you're not allowed to eat, what medications you must take or mustn't take. When you're allowed home, when you're not allowed home, it was really tough. I'd lost all my friends. I had no one. um, And life just felt completely bleak. And so I reached a point where I just felt like I couldn't bear it anymore. And I just wanted to kill myself. I just wanted it all to stop. I really wanted to die.
2: I grew up in a Christian family. I was one of four siblings and I had good, good a good Christian upbringing. It was around about the age of 16 that I started to look around and think there's just there's got to be more to life than this. I just I just felt that I wanted more excitement from life than than I was getting. There were certain friends that I had in friendship groups who we seem to be having a lot of this excitement in their lives. When I started hanging around with them, it all started in a rather mild sense of fun. We were doing things like drinking and, and smoking. Then from there, it, it went very quickly downhill, indeed. And it moved on to drug taking at the weekends. And actually, I started to far exceed what I had done before. And I very quickly realised that actually when the people that you're hanging around with, who you considered a little bit crazy, start looking to you as being the crazy one, that you realise you're you're in quite a lot of trouble. I wanted to to take drugs all the time. With that, that led to getting involved in crime as well, and then from there it it just got even worse. Um, and I didn't think it could get worse from that point, but. It's amazing how far you can plummet in such a very short space of time. I just felt too ashamed to ask for any help. And at times I just thought, I just don't want any help anymore. I just felt that the brakes had come off and I was just gonna let this train run its course. I remember the time when I was sat on my own and there were thoughts in my head that I'd hurt so many people so badly people that really I, I truly cared about, that I wondered if it would be better if I should take my own life. And that was when I realised that I just had to change, things had to change, and they had to change straight away.
0: Well We'll be pleased to know the stories do get a bit more uplifting. Um, we'll come back to that a bit later, but I wanted to pause them there to ask you about your story. And just to get you to think a bit about your own story, um, maybe your story isn't as dramatic as Andy's or as dramatic as, as Suzanne's. Maybe it's more dramatic, I don't know. But I wonder if you can identify with any aspects of their stories. Like maybe you know what it's like. Maybe you've experienced that sense of emptiness and despair at different points in your life. Or maybe you know what it's like to have unfulfilled longings for acceptance or for significance, for security, for love. Or you know what it's like to end up in a place that you never intended to be. How has life come to this? This is not what I thought life would be. Or maybe you can identify with what Andy articulated there, that sense of there's just got to be more. There's got to be more to life than this. See, I think we all live with deep longing. So, So what is it that you long for? What does your heart long for? What does your soul long for? What sort of things do you yearn for? Do you ever get nostalgic? Let's think about what nostalgia is for a minute. Nostalgia is when you look back to the past, isn't it? You look back to childhood, to, well, maybe what seemed like a simpler time. Maybe lots of good memories associated. I know that's not the case for everybody. But, for example, you see an old school photo. And... it just does something in you. you. You straight away remember something about that time. You, you feel what you felt, those kind of things. And it, it, it does something. Or you see an old children's TV program that you used to watch when you were a child and you reminisce about it with your friends. And it just, something in it stirs you because it reminds you of something. Or you, you hear a piece of music. And it just transports you back to a particular time, a particular place, and all the memories, all the feelings associated with it, it's a, it can be a very powerful thing. It can be a very powerful longing, nostalgia. And the word itself, nostalgia, carries the meaning of aching, aching for a homecoming, yearning for something, to recapture something from the past, maybe a feeling of security, of, of safety, of acceptance, of comfort, something like that, that maybe feels like A bit of a comfort blanket in an adult world that feels altogether less innocent and less secure. So for a lot of people, that longing is about the past, recapturing something. For others, it may be the longing to have a family of your own. That's what you really want in life. That's what's going to make you happy. A family of my own. People who you can love and who will love you. To be really significant in someone's eyes and to enjoy the acceptance, the security, the love that comes as being part of your vision of what a family is would be like for others it's maybe longing for progression and achievement in your career to get to the top of a career a profession that you really really love because you know how good it makes you feel when you achieve and when you have the admiration and the affirmation of others or maybe you long for the just that perfect holiday or retirement maybe the perfect holiday you're yearning for beauty, for paradise, and for true rest. See, I think we all long for something, and there are I think there are some universal longings that we have, and you can group them probably in three main groups, three main headings: a longing for love, a longing for purpose, and a longing for meaning. So, let me just expand on those a little bit. We all have a longing for love. We're born with that, aren't we? That need for love, for acceptance, for security. You know, this is why marriage and relationships are such a big deal. And why family is such a big deal. And why friendships are such a big deal. And also when relationships break down, why that is such a big deal as well. The pain that is associated with a broken relationship, with marriage breakdown, family breakdown, betrayal in a friendship, real pain. Or maybe for you, or particularly as a teenager, if you're a teenager, that feeling that maybe sometimes you feel like you don't quite fit into that group of friends or that group of friends, when actually all you desperately want to do is fit in. Because we all want to fit in. We all have a longing to be accepted. But it seems to be even more acute when you're in those teenage years. You just have to look at the stories we write and the films we watch and the the music we listen to. So often there's this thread of love that runs through either looking for love or finding love or lamenting love that has been lost. So it's everywhere around. And I think that I almost said love is all around there, didn't I? To quote a well-known song. It's it's all around us. Um, I think that longing for love is a universal longing. We all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be secure. But we also long for purpose. Um, Think back to when you were a child. So maybe, say, five years old, six years old. What did you want to be when you grew up? Shout out a couple of answers to me if you. If you sorry? Train driver. Train driver. Brilliant. Who else? Nobody else wanted to be anything. Footballer, yeah. Fireman, astronaut, uh, doctor, mate. I, 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 I wanted to be a pole vaulter. Um, I have no idea why. It's a dream that was never realized. Um, I'm also now starting to realize that I may never play up front for Arsenal either. Um, just a life of unfulfilled dreams. But that's another thing. But just ask yourself this. Why on earth were you thinking or dreaming about having any kind of a job or profession when you grew up? Because you didn't need a job at that age. You didn't have bills to pay. Just writing your name was an achievement. So why were you thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I think it's because we have this longing for purpose in us. We're born with it. A desire for purpose, for significance, for, to accomplish something in this world. So we long for love, we long for purpose, and we long for meaning. Meaning in life. Answers to the big questions in life. Like, you know, why God, if you are there, and if you're so good, why did you let that happen? How could you let that happen? Why did you let this happen to me? Or why am I here? What is the point of life? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Or why am I in pain? Well, why can't I find that thing that perfectly satisfies me, perfectly fulfills me? Why am I not happy? So we long. We have a longing for meaning in life. Now, in the story of the lost son that we heard earlier, the younger son clearly has some acute longings going on. And you could probably sum up his longing in that phrase and use, there's got to be more to life than this, than being stuck here. There's just got to be more to life than this. I need to get away from here. Now, just to give a little bit of context, we've got to understand here that what he did was so unbelievably offensive, particularly in that Middle Eastern culture. Um, It was so offensive. To ask for his inheritance early was just unthinkable. I mean, the expectation was obviously, as it is everywhere, that you wait for your father to die before you receive your inheritance. But also, there's an expectation, particularly in that culture that you would be around to look after him when he's old. You'd be around to take care of him in his old age. And so what he did is effectively saying, look, Dad, I really don't care if you live or die. I don't care about you at all, actually. I just know there's something more for me, and I want it now. It's unbelievably offensive and insulting and totally disrespectful. But before we just dismiss this younger son as being some sort of ungrateful, selfish so-and-so, I wonder if he actually just said out loud what most of us really feel. That life isn't bringing us or hasn't brought us what we'd hoped, all that we'd hoped for. Or maybe what we feel we deserve and that there is something missing. There's got to be more to life than this. Now, this might surprise you, but I don't think that's a bad thing at all. In fact, I think feeling that there's something more is what we should feel. I think it's what we're supposed to feel. Not that everything we desire is good for us. Far from it. Be grateful, be very grateful that you don't get everything you desire. Because some of the things we desire would be incredibly destructive. But, those longings I talked about before for love, for purpose, for meaning in life. I want to suggest to you that actually those longings... That we all have come from God. And they come from God to point us to our need of him. That we're born with these driving needs for these things. And that they are put there by God actually in the end to lead us towards him. But the son in the story was really just like so many of us. Is that he was convinced he had to leave his father. He had to get away from there uh, in order to fulfill his longings. To find the more in life. To be fulfilled. And so Jesus told us what he did. In verse 13 it says, He set off for a distant country. And the story doesn't tell us much about what happened there, only that he squandered his wealth on wild living. So he set off for this distant country, and there he squandered his wealth on wild living. And we're left to imagine what that means. I guess we can probably imagine, though. You know, I guess there was a lot of partying, alcohol, prostitutes, anything else you can think of. But what the story then makes clear is that as time goes on, he spent everything he had. He spent it all, and he ends up in a desperate situation. No money, no food, no work. And so he has to hire himself out to somebody there to go and feed some pigs in the field. And he's there wishing he could eat some of the pigs' food. Now, we're going to go into this a bit more next week, but I think it's fair to say that he has reached a rock-bottom Moment. So he had gone to that distant country looking to fulfill all his longings, looking for satisfaction and fulfillment, but he ends up completely empty. He ends up completely spent. His longing for love was certainly not found in other women. And his longing for purpose was certainly not found in living that lifestyle. In fact, far from being fulfilled, his sense of longing became far more acute, profoundly acute sense of longing. The questions he must have been asking himself Why am I here? Why am I so lost, empty, broken, and lonely? How has life come to this? How has my life come to this? I wonder if that sounds familiar. Because I think that the story of the lost son is my story, and it's your story. It's each of our stories. Some stories are more or less traumatic. Some are more or less painful. But this story of unfulfilled longings, of something missing from life, I think we can all identify with that. So to go back to what I was saying earlier, nostalgia, you know, nostalgia meaning aching for a homecoming. Well, what does nostalgia leave you in the end? It just leaves you with the ache when you realise, actually, you can't go back there. And that even if you could, you'd probably realise it wasn't as perfect as you remembered it anyway. Or you realise that family life, while a brilliant thing, and your family might be the most wonderful family and you enjoy great times together. But family life doesn't actually turn out to bring that perfect and lasting satisfaction that you were looking for. Because your family will never live up to your idealized vision of what they should be. Or when you get to the top of your career, the top of your profession, the question's always going to be, what next? Is this it? Have I reached my measure? The longing doesn't disappear. The richest man in the world is never as rich as he would like to be. You never do find perfect paradise, perfect rest on holiday, and even the very best holidays come to an end before you know it. The new mobile phone, the latest gadget that you are so excited about having, after you've had it for a week, it's just run-of-the-mill. It's boring. And this is the human condition. If I could just have that, then I would be happy. That's what would make me happy. Or if I could just be with her, if I could just be with him, that is what would make me happy. Or if I could just be there, if I could live there, then i would be happy. See, almost everywhere we look, the grass is greener than where we stand. And we live with this sense of restlessness and longing and a yearning for something that we, we don't quite know what, but yearning for something in life that we can't quite grasp hold of. It's like it, we get a glimpse and it then slips away through our fingers. That thing that we think is going to bring us lasting happiness turns out not to deliver the ultimate satisfaction that we had hoped it would. And we look everywhere for it. We look in everything that the world can possibly offer. We look in careers and in stuff, having things, material goods. Uh, We look in holidays, in sex, in alcohol, in sport, in shopping, in uh, leisure, entertainment, pornography, body image, um, friends, family, you name it. Everything the world has to offer, we look for satisfaction in it. But nothing ultimately delivers that longing for more. Nothing ultimately satisfies that longing for more. So C.S. Lewis, who's the writer of the, the Narnia books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I think that's true. Yeah, I think we were made. I think we were designed for a different kind of world, a different kind of existence, the kind of world, the kind of existence that God created in the beginning before we messed it up, before we turned our backs on him, and messed it up and C.S. Lewis goes on to say probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it this, this desire earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing and this is exactly what happens in the story of the lost son his longings become more acute as he seeks to satisfy them in earthly, in earthly pleasures actually the longings become more acute to point him towards the real thing this is where you'll find satisfaction to suggest the real thing, to point us towards God, where we will find satisfaction. The problem is not that we have longings, that we live with longings. The problem is that we seek to fulfill them without God. And so the question is, that I want us to think about, is where will you go to satisfy these God-given longings? Because I think Jesus, part of the reason he told this story, was to help us find our way home, to help us see what God is like what sort of welcome we will get with God and to help us find our way to him, to point us to him. And this whole Coming Home series is all about helping us explore together this idea that the very real longings, the universal longings we all have for love, purpose and meaning are satisfied not by running away from God, but only by running towards him. And so I really hope that you stick with us on this journey. You see it through to the end. There was a guy called Blaise Pascal who was a 17th century mathematician, really clever guy, intellectual guy. you know. And he grew up knowing a lot about God, but not really knowing God. So he didn't really actively follow him. But he had an encounter with God. He had this profound, middle-of-the-night experience with God that changed him. It changed his life, it changed his outlook, his perspective on life. And so he began to challenge his fellow intellectuals to a kind of wager on God, to make a bet on God, he would dare them, he would challenge them to pray for a period of time as if God was real and see if he didn't change their lives. So he would say to them, look, make a bet that there is a God who loves you. Because if if you're right, you have everything to gain. If you're wrong, you've got nothing to lose. Make a bet that God is real. That's what he would challenge his friends to. Now, if you're up for it, And the fact that you're here suggests that maybe you are. Maybe you are thinking there's something worth exploring here. If you're up for it, I want to give you a similar challenge. To make a bet that God is real. To pray as if God is real. A gamble where you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Now, before I explain how we'll do that, let's just have a look at what happened in those stories that we started earlier. So if we could play the second part.
1: So at that point... um because I was feeling so desperate I thought well I might as well talk to my dad about it because there's nothing else I can do and it wasn't really so much the words my dad said he he just said to me that God loved me and all I needed to do was to rest in God's love and I'd heard those words before but for some reason at that point they became real I think God just broke some of the lies that I was believing and and made made those words true you know god was real god loved me it was a complete revelation and so i went from feeling utter despair to feeling joy you know and i woke up the next day instead of wanting to kill myself just feeling so happy so full of love and joy it was just incredible it was it was a miraculous turnaround i i really understood that my appearance didn't define who I was. That being skinny wasn't my identity. And God showed that to me, you know, through His Word. And He told me, you know, I'm His masterpiece. I'm the apple of His eye. I'm so loved. So it doesn't matter what struggles I go through or what life throws at me. That's that's who I am. And it doesn't depend on what I look like. When I look back on who I was then, compared to who I am now. It's just completely amazing, and it can only be God. You know, There was no way that I could get out of that mess, that I could come out of that darkness. God did it all. He did an absolute miracle in my life.
2: So it was about that time that I cried out to the Lord and said, Look, Lord, something's got to change. I really need help. And a friend of mine who was in a very similar situation as me started to get help, and it was working as well. And I realised through that help that there was hope for me as well. And that was a great comfort to me. And I started to take that path as well. I took the same path as he did and started to get some help from a very kind group of Christians who specialised in this, this type of rehabilitation, really. So I did that for around about two and a half years. And it was, a, it was through that period that my life really started to change. It was during that time that I encountered God in many different ways. And he gave me freedom in areas of my life that I'd struggled with over the years that I'd never experienced before. And it was through that that I felt huge weight and pressure had been lifted off my shoulders and it started to help me live a lot more freely than I'd ever done before so my life now is is completely different from what it used to be the relationships that God has restored in my life that seemed irreparable before have been I have a wife and children and just the blessings that I experience are are all down to God. And what I thought that I'd completely destroyed in my life, it actually turned out it wasn't destroyed at all, and the Lord has restored it to me. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not the finished article, just ask my wife, but... It's a process. It's a journey. But it's a, it's a journey that I'm enjoying a lot more than I, than I did previously, that's for sure.
0: I told you they got better. Um, you notice there how Andy said, he talks about crying out to God. He prayed. He prayed. And things started to change. And Suzanne talked about God becoming real. To her, The love of God for her personally becoming real to her. And that was an r- absolute miracle for that to happen. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Pray as if God is real every day for the next 30 days. We're going to give you something, going to give you this booklet in a few moments that's going to help you with that. In here there are five prayers, very, very simple prayers, one for each week. They all start with the same line, which is this. God, if you are real... Make yourself real to me. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. So on each day in this booklet, there are some questions to think about, to reflect on. There's some space for you to write down any thoughts you might have. And then there's that very simple prayer at the end. I wonder, could you find a slot of, say, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes if you want to spend a bit longer on it. But let's say 10 minutes a day. Could you find a slot of 10 minutes a day to really do this properly, to, to, to kind of go for this... Um, properly and and give it your all, give it your best shot. We're going to give one of these to everybody here because I want us all to take this challenge. I want us all to go on this journey together, whether you are someone who normally comes here or you're someone who doesn't normally come here. I'm going to take this challenge over the next 30 days because you know what? I want to know more of God in my life. I'm going to think about the questions in here. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to write things down and pray. Now, I'm not going to pray, God, if you are real because clearly I already think he is. I'll just adapt the prayer, though, to say, God, thank you that you're real. Please make yourself more real to me, because I want to know more of him in my life. So I'm going to do this challenge. Let's go on this 30-day challenge, this 30-day journey all together. If you're here for the first time this week, please come back next week. Come back, continue the journey, see it through right to the end. Because, you see, I firmly believe that if you seek God with an open heart and with an open mind, you will find him. He will make himself known to you. The reason I'm convinced of that is because of the lengths he went to by becoming a man and dying on a cross so that we could be near him. And for some, that discovery, as I said before, was an instant kind of thing. It happens quickly. For others, it's more of a gradual journey. But make a bet that there is a God who loves you. Pray as if God is real for the next 30 days. You have nothing to lose, but potentially you have everything to gain. Thank you very much.